0: Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Gunjan Agarwal, Head Digital Data Products and Martech Strategy at Novartis. To be clear, though, she was only representing her own, her own views on this episode. So some key takeaways or thoughts from Gunjan's point of view. Number one, set your overall data product strategy You know, for when you are in stage two, the kind of going wider with data mesh phase set that overall data product strategy earlier in your journey than many may think. It's easy to focus only on use cases instead of the bigger picture. Number two, make sure to align early on who owns what. What are the clear boundaries between roles? Otherwise, with the amount of change data mesh drives, there will likely be unnecessary chaos. Get specific. Number three, don't fall to the, you know, kind of quote-unquote data field of dreams, you know that whole quote of if you build it they will come. Focus on building to actual problem statements. Involve people early, make them accountable, give them skin in the game, and that will result in them caring. Number 4, quote-unquote the more you ask why, the more clarity you will get. Really dig in deep into the reasoning for creating new data products or ARDs, which Gunjin calls as analytics-ready data sets. If we have this data product, what will it unlock for us, as Ala Hale had said. Number five, it's crucial to avoid the trap of building data products specifically to use cases. You must have the bigger picture in mind and focus on reusability instead of only solving one set of challenges. And can you just like extend an existing data product instead of creating a new one? Number six, data people should have domain knowledge where possible. That way they can push back on requirements that don't make economic sense, that don't maximize the return on investment. Number seven, a four-part approach to designing data products. A, find clarity on the problem statement. B, assess who are the personas that will benefit from it. C, dig into what you already have available. And D, focus on serving value to the problem statement in a way the persona can actually use. Number eight, something that might be a little controversial, scalability is more important than time to market when it comes to data products, especially as you develop a broader set of data products. Tech debt around scaling is hard to combat, especially just as you are delivering strong value when you have that need for scale. And it limits additional use cases, leveraging existing data products if those data products can't scale. Number nine, you need to be proactive in partnering with the business. Data people have historically waited for requests or requirements. That won't lead to fast feedback loops and quickly iterating towards value. You need to get closer to people early so you can work with them rather than just wait for them to kind of speak up. And finally, number 10, It's easier to end up focusing on the single use case instead of the bigger picture. But this will likely result in business disruption from a half-baked data product. OK, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very excited for today's uh, episode. I've got uh, Gunjan Agarwal here, who's the head of digital data products and Martech strategy at Novartis. But to be very clear, she's only speaking on her own behalf here. You know, using her own opinions. Um, and we're going to be talking about kind of this concept that I've, I've been wanting to talk about more. Of once you start to get kind of going with data mesh, you're going to start to build out a suite of data products. Like, how do you start to think about building out this suite to cover um, those new use cases that may crop up, right? You don't want to necessarily create everything that could ever be, but you also can start to really see the patterns and um, think ahead and and create this thing that, that, where the use cases can kind of meld and you can start to find new use cases from the existing use cases and add value and things like that. So like the suite of data products, how do you build that out? How do you think about balancing the value of an individual data product versus the whole and, and bringing that on? Um, and then like, you know, how do you think about balancing the ability to scale up versus speed to value and, and thinking like that as well as um, a number of other topics. But before we jump into that, uh, Gunjun, if you don't mind, if you could give people a little bit of background on yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand.
1: Yeah, thanks, Scott, for having me. Uh, I'm digital data product head at Novartis, and I have uh, 20 years of experience, which is a intersection between digital data and advanced analytics. Most of my experience has been across, across industry, working across North America, Asia. I have led Many cross-functional teams in metrics high-growth environment. Here, I'm building the digital data products. As you said, that once we have the data mesh, then what is next? How we can cater to various business needs? How we can build the data products which are scalable? And around that, what is the martech strategy required? That's my role.
0: Awesome. And and why don't we start a little bit with kind of rewinding a bit and and uh, a lot of the people listening are probably a little earlier on in their journey um and kind of talk about as you you've built out to where you are now like is there anything that that you would kind of look back and give advice on about kind of getting to where you are now when you think about because you know a lot of people are in phase one of their data mesh of building out the the initial platform and and kind of getting in their arms around how to build data products but you're you know well into phase 2 or maybe even in phase 3 of um, really going wide and, and doing that and building out a a broader suite so if people want to get to that broader suite what do you think is were some of the things that that really helped you to get to where you are today what what would some advice that you wish somebody had <laughs> given you you know 12 18 months ago or something like that
1: yeah so i would suggest build your data product strategy much earlier in your journey and have the customer board ready. Because if you look at the data products, you need to have a clarity on your problem statement. Who is your biz- business? Who is your stakeholder? What is your need? If you start thinking much earlier in your journey of the data mash, it is definitely going to help. That's my learning and that I would recommend to everyone that if you are on the path, Maybe on the stage one, then have a separate team who will be thinking about what needs to be done next, what is the business requirement, and how we can build the data products around that.
0: And there's been some people that have talked about how, in some organizations, that's a little easier said than than done because you know there's kind of some barriers to getting to. The business people, and then there are some people who are like, well, <laughs> I'm the data person, I want to stay the data person, I don't want to have to learn the, the business. How much did you have to kind of meet them where they were, versus kind of meet them in the middle, right? Did you have to learn all of the business context? Or did you have a team that was kind of learning all the business context and talking with all the, the around all the use cases to kind of bridge that gap between the, the historical gap that's been there between the technical uh, data folks on the IT side, especially, and the, um, the data kind of consumers and, and things like that. And what when we're, you're looking at who should be the product owner, um, there's you know kind of some splits there where people think about you know the data product kind of manager versus the data product owner itself versus you know like is it data product management is that you know somebody that's very technical on the data side is kind of splitting up those roles and responsibilities. Have you seen it be that there's a single pattern that you would say? well, in each of these kind of subdomains, we've uh, been able to use the same pattern or is it pretty much (laughs) what is the domain need and who are the personnel we have in that? And we're going to kind of split up the roles uh, accordingly.
1: Yeah. So that was a challenge even for me to define clearly what is a product owner versus product manager definition. So what first thing we did was safe agile training because that very clearly defined who was this role versus that role. What are the guardrails around that role? And if you understand the roles, you will not overlap on each other and you have a clear agenda that what you need to do, what is your ownership and responsibility in that making that product. So, yes, that was an issue, but having that clarity, once we define, did the once you def, do the alignment. I'm pretty sure you will be successful. So those are prerequisites before you start the data product development. Have that core team ready. Have their RACI ready, or I would say nowadays, it's the DACI ready. And once you have it, that complete alignment, complete synergies between the team, and then think of what is the development path of
0: any product. I think that's that's interesting because um, I don't think I've heard anybody really say that explicitly, and I think it might be hidden in some of the things, but um, there is kind of this, there there's kind of an emerging um, anti-pattern, I would almost say, in data mesh of um, moving ab- absolutely as fast as you can, but there's also the anti-pattern of um, trying to get everything perfect up front. And what you're talking about isn't getting everything perfect up front versus getting everything clear so people know <laughs> what they've got to do and that you're you're not you're not going to launch a perfect data product but that you're going to iterate towards it and i don't want to put words in your mouth if you're not saying that but that's kind of the thing that that's coming out of a lot of conversations but i think exactly what you're talking about of if you don't have pretty clear responsibilities it can lead to chaos right is is that is did did you have a couple of times where that happened or was it that you, you've you used this pattern and it just worked well every time or kind of where uh, any any insight into how those learnings came about where you're like, I, this is the way people should do it?
1: Definitely, I'm speaking from my experience. <laughs> if you <laughs> don't have that clear responsibility, so that's the reason I'm saying sometimes it's good to step back, have that clear role and responsibility defined. And then start that journey. And even in that journey, there is there is never a perfect scenario. Okay, There is a possibility that at one point you will feel, do we need this person? What is the role of this versus that? Based on the scenarios, when you are scaling up your product. So that will occur. We have to accept it. But what is more when you have that synergies between the team and you know what is your end goal? then you will march towards it you will overcome all those challenges but if you don't have from the day one that alignment that clear uh, call out of each person then you are setting up for the failure so i would highly recommend that just don't jump on the development because there is a fancy idea take some time uh, have understand who are your real partners who is your customer board have that steer code defined, and then bring that team together. What is going to be the cadence for each board? What is the role they are playing? What is their ask uh, going to be? Is it you have to inform them? You have to consult them. All those things have to be clearly defined and then start your journey.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it's, um, and it's, uh, you peppered it in there as well about start from the use case and work backwards, right? Start from the target and work back to the source, you should think about like, what's the use case, then what are the data products that need to support that, whether they're source aligned or, or consumer aligned or whatever, that you're, you're working backwards from this has a purpose. We're not building, and an, you know, the, I don't know if you've seen the movie, the, the Field of Dreams, I've never actually seen it, but it takes place in Iowa, which is my home state. And so, um, you know, there's this ghost that's whispering to him to build this baseball stadium. And he keeps saying, if you build it, they will come. And that, that just doesn't happen in data, right? Like that's just not a thing.
1: <laughs> no, there's a that's a big no-no, Scott. I have learned it, that don't assume that you build something and people will jump to it. There are priorities are different uh, at a different time period. So involve them, make them accountable that it's their product, it's their baby. And then only once they have the skin into the game, they will be passionate about it. What is the success of that data product looks like? What is the adoption of it? And they will help you in scaling it up. So it's very important that you make them part of the game.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And like, I think this this is helpful background into transitioning to think about like the broader set of of data products as as uh, you know you had mentioned in, in our pre-call that you've got a a broader set, right? It's not a single data product or just a couple. So when you start to think about developing that that bigger suite of data products and you start to think about launching a new data product versus, you know, adding incrementally to an existing one, like how have you been finding that conversation? Or are, are you are you looking to have more uh, smaller or when you have additional use cases and you're like, eh, we could just, you know, increase the, the uh, this one data product by, you know, 20% with these, you know, incremental uh, columns and the, this kind of couple of transformations. How do you start to think about that? Um, and, and how do you make it so that what you've already got doesn't get disrupted <laughs> if you are augmenting an existing data product?
1: Yeah, so the simple answer is that ask why. Sometimes uh, the problem is very simple to solve, but we make it complicated. The more you ask why, the more clarity you will get Scott. Why you have to do it? What is the reason? So let's say if we have to build a marketing data product, then the answer can be we need this to support a campaign. Okay. then why? because we wanted to make sure that we target the right segment uh, for a particular brand, let's say. Uh, What does it mean? Why? We wanted to make sure that right message goes to the right person at right time. Uh, What does it mean that we wanted to increase our engagement rate, marketing ROI? Uh, What does it mean that we wanted to increase, let's say, prescription rate? It's helpful for the brand. And uh, we wanted to make sure that our customer don't opt out, and we don't. We do some targeted campaigns so that there is a ROI proven. So you see, the more you ask why, you get a more clarity. Now there is a possibility that for a certain use case, let's say if you wanted to increase uh, next best actions for a particular uh, brand uh, for suggestions, then you might have certain products or you might have to build new to bring it all together for a particular use case. So uh, you have to maintain that, see what is then the data products you you create, end up creating ARDs, analytical ready data sets, right? So for those ARDs, it's very important to have a ARD catalog. We create in data mesh more like a data catalogs, but I do see a lot of companies are not creating a ARD catalog. Once you have that, then you know that there is a new use case. Divide into modules. Okay, I have to create these three products which comes together to solve it. Maybe two already exist, so leverage those two and build the third one, and then combine it all together for that particular problem. So you see that you need to really ask multiple times why, understand, and that's the reason a data person need to have a domain knowledge. Because if you ask the right questions, you will get that then only the answers. Now, based on that, you divide into module the data product. Try to have that reusability factor. Because if you keep building every time for every new use case, a new ERD, it will go out of the control. It will become a nightmare to manage so many ERDs. It's an operational overhead. So have those... Catalog ready, look at it. If something is missing, then only build it and combine it together. So that's how usually I would suggest everyone to approach it.
0: Well, So I, I think within that, especially looking for what can I reuse, if there is an existing data product that doesn't have 100% coverage, but if you just extended it, you know, 10, 20%, it would have... 100% coverage of, of that aspect of what you need. Is that what you recommend? Or do you recommend kind of leaving the existing data product as it is and, and creating a smaller data product to serve that kind of extended incremental need? Because I think that's something where once people get a few data products out, they're constantly trying to figure out, you know, can I just extend this thing that I've already got? Or do I need to do it in a new way? And I know it's it's a very difficult question to ask, because it's, filled with so many, you know, very particular things to each individual use case. But like, I'm just trying to figure out how people might uh, approach that question of, once I've got a few of these data products, how do I determine, do I need to launch a new one versus can I just extend what is existing versus I can just drop in exactly what's in an existing ARD?
1: Yeah, it depends on what are your guiding principles for your data mesh and the overall strategic data product. What I follow is that every data product should be scalable, standardized, reusable, traceable, configurable, and automation done. I have these guiding principles and now in that you see there is a reusability. So if extending any existing data product by 10, 20%, solve two use cases, then why not? Because if you keep building, it's a operational overhead, as I said. So that's that's a guiding principle I follow. So I would recommend that that's the best way because think of you do for one channel, one brand, but then multiple channels, multiple brands, multiple personas, how many you can manage? It's not It's not a very scalable model. So answering to your question, yes, it's very important that try to reuse. If it is a 10, 20%, you have to do that assessment. What does it mean? Reusability means for you, for the business. Because you have to see the balance between the ease of implementation and even the business value, time to value. All those factors you have to consider when you are doing that assessment. If you think that, yes you can very quickly add that 20% which brings a high business value it's, it's already there existing so it's very easy to implement then why not but if you say that there is a quick win which you require which is not always a good scenario but uh, for that quick gain that you need to do something new from the scratch that's a discussion you have to do you have to create that uh, matrix that what is where you have to give more weightage, whether ease of implementation, high business value, quick gain versus a long-term strategy.
0: And, and and also, I think, looking at mixing and matching SLAs and things like that, where it's like, well, this existing data product um, is refreshed daily, and uh, this new data product I'm or this new use case, I need it refreshed within every two hours. So do I have a lot of this information that doesn't need to be refreshed every two hours. Is that going to cost more? Is it going to have more headaches, more operational costs and overhead and all that? Um, Or should I just build a smaller thing to support the thing that has this new SLA? Right. And, and I think that's one that, that when I've dug into it with a couple of people, (laughs) a lot of them just say, Hey, we just basically tell everybody this is the SLA unless you tell me you need otherwise. And then you have to make a really good case um, to prevent people from saying I need it in real time. And then you say, well, what's real time? Well, I don't want it on a a daily refresh or I don't want it 48 hours after it happens. It's like, okay, so you don't want really real time. Um, Like have you found that to be uh, a mix and match or, I mean, maybe with uh, your focus of being marketing, you know, if it's not something super real time, you can probably be looking at something um, with a little bit of lag, right? Like a day lag or anything like that to be able to test and change and things like that. Maybe I'm just making an assumption, but um, have you found that to be a a challenge when looking at new use cases of, does this this create more complexity simply, you know, I created a reusable data product, but it doesn't meet the, quality definitions or whatever of this new use case. So I have to then decide between a new data product versus not.
1: Yeah, that's everyone wants real time information nowadays. So it's very important. Um, And I have this, I would suggest that have this factor in your input take form. And that goes back to our discussion that why it's very important for a data person to have a domain knowledge. Because if somebody is asking the real time, you should be able to quiz and ask, why real time? What is the output? What is the impact if you change the frequency? It becomes more complicated if you're buying the data, external data into that product. Because changing the frequency from, let's say, monthly to weekly or to daily, it costs a bomb. It costs a lot when you are buying external data sets. So there is an ROI you need to calculate that what happens if you have it as it is, which can be, let's say, a weekly? And what is the business requirement when you make it daily? What is the cost implication, effort implication, and what is the return on investment? So once the data person has that knowledge, asking the right questions, have a proper input, take form, then it becomes very easy to prove that, okay, we are moving from weekly to daily. Yes, there is a business case. And we are going. This is a way we are going to measure it. But if you are not able to do it, then you have the full to push them back. That no, we cannot go for it because that's the reason. There is no ROI to prove.
0: Allah Hale on her episode talked about, you know, what would having this unlock for you? And when you talk about like what is real time, you say, "Well, okay, like what would having real time actually unlock?" Right? What is that return on investment? And they start to be like, well, it would be just really great if we could explore this in in real time. And it's like, do you just mean low latency? You just want to be able to explore it with uh, not not having it be a long-running query and things like that? Is that really what you're looking for? I I think that's Mm -hmm. a a good insight Mm to keep pushing back on because everybody wants to push towards real time just because that's what they think they need versus that is what they need.
1: Yeah, the data team has to take much more responsibility in terms of uh, business value. They just can't be any longer doing what they have been asked for. They they are the key player. So they have to elevate their game and make sure that they are equally looked at as a partner by the business people, stakeholders.
0: And when you're talking about the data team in this case, when you're thinking about data mesh, um, you know, we don't have a central data team uh, anymore because we're decentralizing that. But like, so What do you think of as as the data team? Is it the data team that's embedded into the domain itself and that there's kind of a centralized data team within the domain or how how are you looking at actually kind of creating who's managing these data products? Is it people that are the kind of software engineers, the developers in the domain, or do you have data engineers that are embedded with the teams or how, how have you been doing that kind of development?
1: Yeah, I would say it should be enterprise data team. And I like the word more of a data enablers instead of data engineers, because data enablers have more information and will be more looked at as a partner to the business that why we are doing it. And they also can be the product owner of it, that why it has to be built, how it has to be built, uh, how this product has to be evolved over the time, how it has to be scaled. So I would say it should be an enterprise data team and then these data enablers who are very closely working with the various stakeholders, various uh, domains embedded into that.
0: OK, interesting. Um, and so like, kind of circling back to what we were, um, a lot of what we were planning on talking about is, how do you, I mean, it's a broad, broad question. And so I, I apologize for it being overly broad. We can kind of try and narrow it down. but. Um, how do you start to think about building out your suite of, of data products? Is it that you like, when you think about use cases, are you looking for use cases that you can already support? Are you looking for the most high value use case? Cause you know, you could just say, okay, I'm just going to support as many use cases based on what we've already built. And we're just going to find more and more of those use cases. And we might be getting, you know, lower and lower, um, returns on those, but the incremental investment is I- incredibly low versus we're going to go pretty broad and and take the, the most high value use cases. Like, h- how do you think about you're building out this suite to support m- multiple use cases? And do you only build your data products exactly to what those use cases are right now? Or do you start to kind of see patterns and go, eh, I'm going to need some more I'm, I'm going to need this transformation in this data product. So even though the ex, the first use case doesn't call for it, I might as well just do it now. And it's, you know, it, it's not going to cost that much more. And like, how do you think about as you add more and more, you get broader and broader coverage, but like you you could go super broad with, you know, as many use cases or, you know, the most high value or the most complex or whatever. Like, how do you think about balancing all of that?
1: Yeah, so the first part which you ask is that what is the approach to build a suite of data products? I would say four-step approach. First, find the clarity on the problem statement. What exactly is the use case or the problem statement? Second, who are your personas? For whom you are building this? Uh, What they require? Then research on what is currently available and what is the competitive intel around it? Then, when you start the designing the product by solving the problem, catering to the right people and providing that value, which is not available elsewhere. So these are the steps you have to follow when you are building that suite of data products. Now, second part is that how do you balance it? As I said that there are various factors which goes into it that whether you pick A versus B. Uh, I, I I would highly say that don't go for quick gains because that's do not always mean good if we risk uh, rush we always risk having to do some rework having higher cost of maintenance and in the long run ability to scale up versus speed is worth that time there are various forces which actually help you in deciding it Uh, there is there is a possibility that there is a let's say a campaign launch If a campaign launch is coming, then you have to meet that deadline. You have to build a product to support that campaign. So those are some of the ad hoc requests which we get um, and we should be able to cater it. But in the long run, if you have that flexibility where you can pick and choose the use case, then have that metrics ready. What is the ease of implementation? High business value, operational cost. uh, How is this a narrow use case versus a, more scalable use case, catering to more personas. So a lot of these factors you have to consider then give the weightage that at that moment based on your own uh, team bandwidth, based on the organization priority, organization vision, which one factor gets more weightage versus other. But you should also keep adding in the backlog. Uh, don't just reject the idea. You have a plan which one you will go for now as of now. But once you have that backlog ready, maybe you have already built part of it in the other product and you just reusable, that, reuse that component. So a lot of strategy goes into it before you actually do the development.
0: And and one thing that I've heard some people struggling with is, is actually getting to the information really about the, the use case. Do you have any advice for people, you know, they ask the why and don't really get to good answers. Do you have anything that you've, any kind of little tips or tricks that that have been helpful there?
1: Embed yourself in the workshops, in the meetings, where your stakeholders are, where is your customer? Because then you will be listening directly firsthand that what exactly is their problem. I would say most of the time, uh, data team might be just waiting for inputs and then working on it or they are, technically more involved into evolving their platform and they might not be listening to those signals. So it's very important that you embed yourself, be there where your customer exists. And that's where you will listen more of their use case, more of their problem statement. And then once you hear, you come up with that whole strategy that how you can come up with the data product will solve the problem. Have the workshops with them discuss with them more. And that's how you will evolve what is the data product should look like.
0: Yeah, just kind of that increasing the communication. It's funny how often it's just, it just is the answer is talk to people more. Um, yes. So it's as simple as that. <laughs> so one question that I think that comes up for a lot of folks is, how do you think about reusability and interoperability? Because when we're first starting out, we we say, build it to be reusable, but people aren't really sure exactly what that means and, and how they can do that. And then, you know, your, your balance of value in your initial data product, it's not typically that they're all that it's interoperable with every other piece of, uh, you know, potential data product in the company, the, the value is in the data product itself and in that specific use case, but more and more your value builds with the interoperability. So like, How are you thinking about that like actual interoperability? How do you ensure that? How do you think about that kind of maximized global value versus we're just putting out lots of very valuable incremental data products instead of we're (laughs) creating the mesh, right? Where the mesh has the connection points. It's not just random dots uh, on the screen. It's got the lines that are connecting it in between. That's what a mesh is.
1: Yeah, so as I said, we Scott, we need to always have scalability in mind. We need to emphasize on the bigger picture. And once you do, scaling up won't be an issue. Use that information to create your main arteries. Because if your right arteries are there, it's very easy for you to change the direction or scale based on the new demands which are coming up. Secondly, you need to have a very good governance have more standard templates which can be reusable, have a centralized catalog because then you can see that what is there, what does not exist and have a data steward associated with each data product. These are certain things which I apply and I have seen the success. So once you have those, write it down that what are the checklists you should have and then the scaling up is not a problem.
0: But what about, like, actually, so I don't even know how to ask this question because I'm not, like, that deep into the data. But, like, interoperability is a question that comes up all of the, like, all the time. But I haven't had anybody actually tell me how you make data products specifically interoperable. Is it that you you standardize around um certain uh, structures of, of logs or other things or that you standardize, you know, you create internal standards. You talked about standard templates, but that that people can adhere to and should adhere to if it makes sense, but they don't have to. Or like, how do you make it so that, you know, we have one global ID or one, you know, specific way of doing this? How Within that governance team, how are they setting up the broader organization to make things interoperable? How do you actually do interoperability between data products?
1: Yeah, so what I do is first have a strong, solid blueprint. Once my blueprint is ready and I know that what is a bigger picture looks like, it becomes easy. So let's take an example that if you wanted to scale your data product, uh, let's say you have Customer 360 and You have a requirement, immediate requirement is that for one brand, you have to create that. Good, you can do it. But then you know that you will end up creating it for multiple brands, multiple franchises, multiple business types uh, and different type for different type of personas. If you have that information very first in your blueprint, you can pick up one brand or one persona in the beginning for your minimum lovable product. But then it, you know where the journey goes. So most of the time, if you, I have seen that if you have a very narrow focus on current need, then that's where the products fail. But if you have more of a bigger picture, then it become very easy that, okay, today this is not required, but it will be required eventually down the lane. You will be adding up all the things. You will be scaling from one market to another market, one brand to another brand or one channel to multiple channels. So having that blueprint is very important.
0: Is, is that like kind of a standard schema and that it's extensible, but it's a standard schema to make it so that everything kind of looks the same by default and you only make changes if you really need to, or like, cause that, that's the type of, of little intricacies that people are are trying to, to figure out, well, how do I actually do this?
1: Yeah, standard schema is must, but again, it. It depends on the type of product you are building. So one of the product, I built a very global standard taxonomy. The global standard taxonomy actually helped me that even though my use case is narrow right now, but I know eventually I have to have a taxonomy which is scalable. And what I did was instead of jumping immediate for the use case, I collected all the information that taxonomy by different, different areas made that global standardized taxonomy and that helped me in scaling it up so as you said standardized schemas or standardized taxonomy based on the type of product you are building you need to have those standard templates
0: i think a lot of what you're saying is is kind of (laughs) keep your head up for and your eye on as well on what's coming up next not just you know Being ultra focused on the single leaf instead of the forest, right? And and you're not even focused on the tree, you're focused on the leaf instead of the forest and that bigger picture of, hey, I I could make this, uh, it's going to take me an extra 5% of work to make this so that it's more broadly applicable. (laughs) I need to do that, right? Like, just Pull back a little bit instead of trying to charge forward and get something into production as soon as possible. Is is that kind of what you're 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 talking yes, about there?
1: Correct. And Scott, there is a possibility you might not get everything on the day one, so that's the reason you need to have a customer board, and you need to meet them on a regular basis. So let's say you're meeting them bi-weekly. Show them the progress what you have done. Discuss with them what do you what they think can come next what they are more demands can be so very much engaged communication is required with your customer and on a regular basis don't just wait when you have a demo to be shown to them then only you will involve that is a very old traditional way. you need to make them part of the journey and even if you don't have all the information on the day one you can get in those regular cadence and they will help you in evolving and making scalable that product
0: It's funny how often that type of thing is is, is, from multiple different angles, but of just like stop only meeting when you have a direct need versus you need to be communicating and exchanging context more regularly. You need to be keeping them informed as to, you know, has the, the thing that they were measuring, you know, in the real world has changed, right? If you were building a data product, for a team in February of 2020, if you come back to them in April of 2020 and the world has changed literally, like completely different world, you, and you weren't talking at all, are you really gonna deliver them something that they really need and want at this point versus, hey, the way we're thinking about this, or we've got more context, or hey, this is we, we started crunching through the data early and, you know, it's not 100% clean, it's not 100% right, but, well, it and, and never will be. I don't want to talk about 100% or five nines or anything like that, but, um, that we found this, this one aspect that we didn't expect. Let's, let's discuss that. And does that change what we were trying to do? I, I think that comes up in a lot of, from a lot of different angles in a lot of these conversations. And I think it's really interesting how often the people who are being successful Talk about those context exchanges where it's not um, its not that every meeting has to have the agenda of we must only move forward on this versus we must discuss what we're seeing.
1: <laughs> yeah, Scott, I, I have seen a lot of success with this uh, approach. And as you rightly said, sometimes if we don't involve them and we go in that path that, oh, it was decided three months back... Down the lane, you might face the challenge that the whole strategy has changed. The product is no longer required, and then it becomes a very throwaway work. So it's very important that have a keep them involved. I believe in simplicity and going back to the basics. I feel communication is a very basic need for the data team.
0: It's something a lot of data people are are uh, hesitant to do. They don't want. <laughs> they don't want to. <laughs> they want to focus on the the tech. The tech is the fun part, right? So. Um, so one thing that we were also looking at, at at talking about was kind of evolving your platform and and your stack and and that as to you know you're you're you've had your stuff deployed for a while, right, and so um how do you think about building it so that you can actually evolve your architecture right how do you how do you actually replace you know i don't know if it's rip and replace or slowly replace or however you want to think about talking about that but and how do you you set up your architecture so that it is ready for actual changes when those changes become beneficial or necessary
1: first of all accept acceptance is required that yes tech stack get changed over the years technology get advanced um, higher performance higher compute is required. So that having that acceptance is important. You cannot have a 100% future proof any product. Once you have that, then think of that, what is the, what is the risk here what, and what is your mitigation around it? Maybe having a microservices-based approach, maybe having a more modularized approach, which means that if a, some change happen in the tech stack, it only impacts small portion of it, not full. So that's where your blueprint helps that where you, from the very beginning, you accepted that yes, technology changes, but once you have the right use cases and you understand that how we can use microservices, how you modularize it, it will help you. Then the another direction to look at is that if the tech stack in that area changes very frequently, then what is the buy versus build? Just keep your options open. Uh, there is a possibility that buy is much more good for you, more worth value and have a higher ROI because then you have that flexibility that if tech stack changes, you can go from one to another. So you need to weigh your pros and cons and then get a buy-in collectively with your customer board.
0: So one thing that a lot of people have have done or looked at is like, when you think about people trying to go multi-cloud for the exact same use case and things like that versus sticking one use case on one cloud and, and another use case on another, or, or however they're kind of approaching that, that multi-cloud world, which, um, you know, I've, I've got some strong feelings about multi-cloud. But <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that how do you think about, you know, if you have to abstract away from everything so that you're not caught, with being overly tied to that but then you can't actually leverage a lot of what it gives you is that again just such a put and take that you don't have a framework for uh, this is this is the kind of abstraction framework that you can think about as to should i um should i basically start to use something that could lock me in or that provides some amount of lock-in and some amount of change pain but it also smooth my path to actually doing what I need to do instead of having to build all of this stuff on top of it. Like, do you have any advice for people there outside of just kind of the the typical of, like, it really, really does depend and really, really think through in your homework and that that aspect?
1: Yeah, if you have the cloud services, if you're using more of that, yes, definitely you're moving from one to another. It brings its own challenges. So you need to really weigh in that where you have to go for that cloud services versus any third-party tool. So let's take an example that if you are building a marketing data product and you need an analytical workbench or you need a customer data platform, you always have an option to, or you want a chatbot, you always have an option to go for that cloud services versus any third-party tool. So that will help you that, And it has its own pros and cons. One, give you a very good connectivity faster, but then even if you have a microservices, your third party tools can also be very well connected. And in that you don't have a lock-in. So it depends on scenario to scenario. And that is going back to what I said, before you jump into the development, you need to thoroughly assess that. What is the future looks like? What exactly is the need? And that question will always remain uh, that whether you should go for build versus buy. The another aspect is whatever services you opt for. Have that proper documentation. Sometimes I have seen that if your documentation is missing and you have to move from one to another, then that reverse engineering of that code is, is really a trouble. It's it's really painful. But if you have the proper documentation, then it become very easy to understand that what was a code written there, what was the business rules applied, what was the transformation done, and it become very easy to move from one to another. So there are a lot of factors. There is no one single answer to that problem, but there are a lot of things if you very conscious uh, conscious way you look at it, then definitely you know which path you are going, what are the risks you are going to have it, and what are the options you can From the day one, look towards it so that you don't fall into that trap.
0: Yeah, um, there was an episode um, of the Data Engineering Podcast with uh, somebody named uh, Brandon Bidell. And he was talking about as well, when you're making those platform decisions, write down what were the factors that caused you to make the decisions, right? Like what was the actual current state? And so you can kind of assess Did we make the right call there relative to what we knew and what we thought we would need and and all of that? Because a lot of times people come in and go, well, this was a dumb decision. Like, why would they have ever chosen this? And then you actually, if you know their constraints, you can say, oh, they were trying to solve for this, but we've moved away from needing that. So we can move away from this and we don't, we feel a lot more comfortable versus Oh that is a hidden constraint. I can't move away from that that's gonna that's gonna cause a lot of pain so I've got to do uh, a different migration path and I think that documentation of of not just like what exactly it's doing but like why it's doing the way it is you know it, like the opinionated like explain your opinion don't just be opinionated <laughs> right when it comes to uh, software and, and building that uh, that's just kind of the the thing that I've been um thinking about a lot more. I I don't want to speak for you or anything there.
1: Yeah. First is, what is the root cause? As you said, the problem statement. Root cause was that when that product was chosen, we didn't look at the bigger picture. And we were not aware that in the future, there is a need of scalability. The load testing was not done, let's say. The options were not thought from that angle. It was a very narrow use case. And we just went ahead and brought a product a brought a tool and tech stack and went ahead with it. So having that bigger uh, problem statement and the vision of that organization is very important because then you know how this product is going to evolve. But still, if you have done it, you feel after down the lane that this product is not important or is no longer serving the need, then your documentation is a key. If you have documented it well, any person can reverse engineer it and do it. The time and the disruption to the business happen if you're trying to build a plane when it is flying. That you should not do it.
0: It's funny because I, I had a conversation with uh, JMac privately and I was like, there's kind of this push in certain places within the community of um, you know really get something into production as soon as possible and then iterate on it But like, it's like, but how do we balance, you know, trying to capture that value as soon as possible, but still build in that kind of scalability, reliability, usability. And, you know, there's kind of this push, especially around the modern data stack stuff and how people have thought about that, of just getting something into production as soon as possible. So how do we kind of push back on that, like get something into production as soon as possible, even if it's, you know, high tech debt and not scalable in the long run. And she just kind of said, so we're, you're asking how do we tell people to not do something that's stupid, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think she put it quite that bluntly, but like, it, that's kind of the, 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 my my uh, blunt interpretation of it. And, and I think a lot of it is exactly what you said, of just like, we have to, we can't be in such a rush because we see something that might be a value where we see the the dollar signs pop in front of our eyes and just try and rush towards it to grab as much money as possible. And maybe maybe there are industries where that actually is the case, right? Like in financial services, there are certain aspects, especially around trading and things like that, where you're like, oh, I'm just going to try and grab as much of the, the, the money pot that I've identified as I can right now. And I'm going to throw this away anyway in, in two weeks. So I don't care if I'm building it for scalability, but If you're going to build it for something for the long run, you got to be prepared to actually, if you're going to take on a bunch of tech debt, you have to pay that down at some point or you have to keep paying your tech debt interest all the time.
1: Yeah. And see, every product which goes into production, before that, you have a UAT. Your stakeholders are checking it, making sure that it is as per their requirement. It's not worth their time that if you're rushing to the production, uh, a half-picked, Product, so I highly discourage that. There, it's okay to delay to a certain time, but it's very important to have that buy-in, and the user has to be very comfortable that what they are going for, and what is how it solves their problem. So these are certain guiding principles which you need to have. Once you have that guiding principles and you communicate very well that how the data team works around that, I. F- I feel you will get accepted. You will people will appreciate that you have a certain guardrails. You have certain principles you follow, which is in long run very useful for the organization. And then you will not get that type of a pushback.
0: I wish some people were a little bit more patient, but I I, I agree with you, <laughs> right? <laughs> so um, so we've covered a, a whole lot here today. It's been a, a really fun conversation. Um. Is there anything we, we didn't cover that you think we should have or any way you'd want to kind of wrap up the episode here?
1: No, I think it's going to be covered. Uh, mainly, I, I, what the questions you asked, I have seen those typical challenges by building data products. And I definitely have overcome many of such challenges by having the right uh, guiding principles, by having a right approach, and sometimes just stay calm. <laughs> just simplify the thing. Some basic things, if you do, you can build wonderful data products. So all those challenges, what I have faced in the past, you ask those right questions and we have covered all of it. Well, and
0: I think you were talking about kind of the, the building blocks too, of like, it's okay to get to, um, you know, uh, you, you need this thing to support this full use case, but it's going to take you a long time to build to that. But you can get value out of building something reusable and scalable and and solid, that's, you know, 60% of the value for 20% of the work. And you can get that into production as you then build on top of it, but that you don't have to, you don't have to rush to everything simply because there's this big dollar sign, but you also don't have to be like, well, it's going to take us 18 months to, you know, you, you've built your full suite of data products. You didn't get a chance to just build all of your suite of data products for the sake of building all of those. And I think that, that balance, it's something that, came through from everything you were saying the whole time. So I really appreciate yeah, that perspective. Those,
1: those incremental benefits are very important. That uh, Any use case, I try to draw the journey. That What are the pain points in that journey? See, there is an end problem statement, but there are a lot of uh, pain points within that journey. Then for each of it, how I can solve it incrementally. Even if you say that... Manual data transformation, you can give somebody ARD, which is immediately automate the process for them, let's say, to find any sales anomaly. These type of things, even though it's not a bigger picture, it's really going to give benefit incrementally. And then you are working towards it, that what is the end goal looks like.
0: Yeah, it's it's not that that the uh, gold is at the end of the rainbow. It's that you can find gold (laughs) along the path, right? Yeah. Um, well, well, again, thank you so much um, for this. I, I think there's going to be a lot of people that would love to chat with you and, and kind of follow up with you on what you talked about here. Where is the best place to do that? Um, is there anything specific you want people kind of following up about?
1: Yeah, I, I write a lot on Medium. Uh, so Medium is one way and uh, definitely if somebody has any question or want to chat, then LinkedIn, I'm quite active on it.
0: Okay. And I'll drop links to those in the show notes as well. So um, again, thank you so much for for the time here today. really enjoyed this. And, and thank you as well, everyone out there for listening. Thanks, Doug. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Gunjin Agarwal, Head Digital Data Products and MarTech Strategy at Novartis. You can find a link to her LinkedIn and her medium in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStax, who were wonderful in getting the data mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one off or a month to month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables. You know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.